This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. As more and more healthcare providers are learning about the importance of mental health and how it impacts health and the health of children, as well as the whole family system, medical providers and other support providers are getting training in perinatal mental health and incorporating it into their practice. And this is absolutely what is needed in order to to recognize, address, and help get treatment for the moms, dads, parents, and families who really need the help. Today, we are talking to pediatrician Dr. Natasha Sriraman. Dr. Natasha is an associate professor of pediatrics at Eastern Virginia Medical School, attending physician, researcher, wife, and mother. Her main areas of research include breastfeeding, postpartum depression, and health disparities. She's a strong advocate for mothers as she lobbies for breastfeeding support in the workplace and PPD screening within the pediatric setting. She does research, publishes, and speaks around the country about postpartum depression and anxiety, breastfeeding, and the importance of the mother in the fourth trimester. When not working, Natasha enjoys running, yoga, boxing, traveling, and reading, and going to the beach with her husband and four kids, three human and one canine. She's going to be sharing her perspective She's going to be sharing her perspective, experience, and knowledge of being a pediatrician that incorporates perinatal mental health awareness and screening into her practice, as well as how her own experience prompted her to become a lactation consultant. We're going to touch a bit on how the increased anxiety and stress of COVID-19 is impacting families and receiving care, and how pediatricians can be playing an important role in the care of perinatal mental health. Let's meet Dr. Natasha. Welcome, Dr. Sri Raman. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to get your perspective today, and I know the listeners will too. It's not often that we get to hear from a pediatrician, and we all know in the perinatal mental health field how important pediatricians are in recognizing and spotting perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. 
So to know that you have this particular knowledge and how to spot it and how to help is really, really great. And I hope that what you have to share with us today will spread to other pediatricians and all providers really who are supporting perinatal women and families. So yeah, can you tell us just a little bit about your practice and what your focus is? Sure. So yeah, so I am a general pediatrician, like I'm the pediatrician you bring your children to from, you know, for either vaccines or physicals, anytime they're sick. So I see babies as soon as they come out of the hospital. So within two to three or four days after delivery, it's been a little bit sooner now with COVID and up through, you know, 18, sometimes through college and things like that. So I really love pediatrics, the continuity of care, and just kind of having that relationship, not just with my patient, but with the mother and the family. And in many cases, obviously, we're seeing, you know, the brothers and the sisters and cousins and things like that. So it really becomes, you know, like, like a community. So the reason I have such a strong interest in perinatal mental health and kind of, I like to call it like the fourth trimester, you know, both as a pediatrician, what I see professionally with, you know, my patient's mothers, but I'm also a mom of three. And a lot of what I do in terms of the postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, breastfeeding, you know, kind of what we call the fourth trimester really comes out from both my personal and my professional experiences. After my third child, because of all my difficulties with breastfeeding, I became a lactation consultant. And the postpartum depression screening, kind of my interest came a lot, really because of a lot of what I was seeing in my practice. Like I remember, I think she's probably eight or nine now. And I came out, you know, she had just come from the neonatal ICU and I, you know, walked out of the room and I'm like, something's just not right with that mom. Mm. And, you know, I trained in residency almost like, you know, 18, 20 years ago. So it's very different. Like we didn't learn, you know, we took care of sick children. We took care of babies in the neonatal ICU. We took care of children in the pediatric ICU. We took care of kids with HIV and cancer and cystic fibrosis. Like I didn't know anything about breastfeeding until I had Mm -hmm. my first child who is now 18. (laughs) We definitely didn't talk about any type of anxiety, depression, not even in kids at that point, you know, Mm -hmm. back then it was you know, we're talking about ADHD, definitely nothing, definitely nothing about the mom. So if you really look at it, you know, when you see like in your practice, you're seeing the moms who are either being identified or have the access or insurance or the knowledge to kind of look for you. I'm in that unique position where I'm seeing moms a lot. And Uh when I do these talks around, whether it's in my area or around the country, and I kind of talk about why pediatricians should really, you know, look at you know, look at mom's both physical and mental health is they're actually really surprised. Like it's amazing how many people come to me after the talk. And a lot of times it's the grandmothers, like they're, you know, they're in healthcare, they're like a social worker, a nurse, Mm -hmm. and they, they come and talk to me like as a grandmother Mm -hmm. and they say, you know, I never realized, you know, you like, I'll see the baby just in the first month. I can see a baby three times. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, it's mom bringing the baby. In the first year, I will see a baby nine times. Mm. And that's and that doesn't include any sick visits. So right, you right. Know, I, I have the opportunity to talk to mom to really kind of just, you know, you get a gauge. I think I've been doing this long enough. Like I can get a gauge of, you know, something's not right or mom's, you know, not looking like herself. And, and obviously, we have the screening tool, which gives us objective data. But, you know, again, a screening tool is a tool. That doesn't mean if it's you know, this number or less, she's good, or this number higher, she's bad. It's a way to open up discussion. I think it's a way to normalize it. I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, bad mom, that mom guilt, that mom shame, whatever you want to call it is still there. I think it's definitely gotten better. My kids 
are, you know, preteen and teenager. So I think definitely advocates like you and people on social media, you know, it's really a huge benefit for moms. But I still think that moms really struggle with, you know, this is supposed to be the happiest time of my life. Why do I feel like this? Something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I must be doing something wrong. And the fact that I can talk to moms about it, normalize it a little bit, validate their feelings. And then yeah. depending on their level of need, you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's just, they need more sleep. Maybe I need to work on them with breastfeeding and how to manage feeding while trying to get sleep. And maybe mm-hmm. it's, you know, they need to see a therapist like you, or maybe they need to find a psychiatrist or they need to talk to their obstetrician about medication. So, you know, I kind of feel like I am in a unique position yeah. and, you know, it's an honor for me that they're trusting me, not just with their babies and to care for their babies, but to really open up to me about, you know, their feelings. You are in such a unique position. And I'm so glad you've, you know, taken the time to understand this, even if it's just sort of based on what you see, so to speak. I think it's so easy to get bogged down by our like professional roles and, and, also because our systems are have typically been so siloed and that, well, we just do this so we can't help this other stuff is kind of going away a little bit more. And you are really, I think, beautifully bridging the gap between a lot of things. And just the fact that you're a lactation consultant is huge because so many people have challenges with lactation. And I mean, they're in your office already. So yeah, you're in a position to recognize so many things that could be contributing to any kind of perinatal mental health changes. So how does that work in your practice? Are people, do you notice that moms are bringing it up with you or do you find that you're initiating conversations? A little bit of both. So we start screening a little bit earlier than what is recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And like we were talking before, you know, the podcast, like, you know, I've published some scientific papers on this, but we, we changed it a little bit and we've actually started screening earlier. Usually the recommendation is to screen the mom when she brings in the child for her, the one month well child check. And what we were seeing in our practice is that sometimes they weren't coming to that visit. You know, if you look at the postpartum care in the United States, it's pretty abysmal, right? You know, you have all these prenatal visits, what, 15, 16 prenatal visits when you're pregnant. And once you deliver the baby, your next visit is six weeks later. And that's to say, if you even go back for that six-week visit, which a lot of my moms were not going back to, and you know, right. unless they were having a physical pain issue, I found a lot of moms weren't going back for that. So what we do is we start screening actually at that two or three week mark, you know, after, you know, the first couple of weeks, you know, kind of the baby blues, you know, we're kind of bringing that baby back frequently for weight checks, if we're following up, you know, jaundice, obviously, if moms are breastfeeding, kind of working on that. But what we found was that screening earlier doesn't preclude the fact that mom has like postpartum anxiety, or postpartum depression, like I think the feeling or what we were seeing in the literature before was that, well, that's too early to screen because you're going to be overlapping with baby blues. And what we were finding is that, no, we're just catching these moms earlier. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think screening earlier open, you know, I think it's just, again, normalizes it. Like, it's not like we're putting, you know, mom X on the spot. Like we're doing this for every single mom. Hey mom, I'm going to talk, I want to talk to you about this. You know, I saw that, you know, I show her the sheet and I said, you know, I see that you're, you know, worried about this or, you know, anxious about this or things like that. And it just really turns into a conversation. Some of the times I think depending on the level of trust, um, because I'm at a teaching hospital. So what happens is the medical student or the pediatric resident goes in first to see the patient and they, you know, they come back and what we call sign out to us. And so a lot of times it's when I go back in that 
I get the full story mm-hmm. because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's a, you know, it's a trust issue. They may not know, you know, and obviously it's a student, it's a learner, it's, it's different. So a lot of times they just are ready to tell you because something, yeah. and I think a lot of it is, you know, as you see in your practice, it's reading between the lines. It's the mm-hmm. mom that may, you know, I had a mom every week, she was bringing the baby in. Mm-hmm. for a rash or a diaper rash and you know and my antenna just went up and I said mm-hmm. hey mom can I just talk to you about something because there was nothing wrong with a baby mm-hmm. I mean a diaper rash here and there like nothing you know nothing extra you know nothing serious mm-hmm. and basically it came out that you know she had had a history of mental health issues when she was a teenager never really got treatment and you know of course you know how it you know you get married you have kids that just right. really you don't think about that you know I had another mom who was constantly going to the ER Right. You know, and she said, I don't understand. Like every time the baby's with my husband, she never gets sick with my husband, but with me, I, you know, she always gets sick. So kind of really, you know, I guess listening for what they're telling us, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's not going to be, you know, very, you know, it's not going to be just, here's my problem. And let me tell you what it is. It's really kind of peeling back those layers. And I think that just comes from obviously, you, you know, years of experience, but I think also the trust, you know, the moms have with me about talking, you know, talking about it. Yeah. This podcast is supported by Posh Peanut. Raising a family can be tough, as we know, and it can also be amazing and beautiful. Posh Peanut gets it, which is why they make beautiful, soft clothing that is tough enough to withstand all of the rough and tumble of childhood, and they have sizing for parents as well. You could even get matching clothing for the whole family. Made from viscose from bamboo, the clothes stretch with your kid as they grow and are four times stretchier than cotton. These clothes are made to last, loved by parents and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house from beautiful florals to your favorite brands such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty and Barbie. It's also breathable and chemical free, which means they're delicate on sensitive skin. So I got my Posh Peanut loungewear and I've been putting it on, especially after my long client days because I need the instant comfort and relaxation. It's one of the ways that I do my self-care, because the soft, stretchy fabric of the Posh Peanut loungewear is really comforting to me. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code MIND. Go to poshpeanut.com slash mind and use promo code MIND for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash mind, promo code MIND. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Uh, so how do you navigate that when the baby is your patient and the mom is not specifically? That's always been a big issue. When we started screening in our practice, we started in our practice before, you know, the protocol went much wider. Yeah. Was that was that was the pushback I was getting, the pushback I was getting from the hospital lawyers. 
the pushback I was getting from the administrators and the pushback I was getting from, you know, my colleagues, like, what are we doing? This is not our patient. And, and, you know, it came down to the fact that if mom is depressed or God forbid, if mom is suicidal, don't we want to know before we send her home with the baby? Mm -hmm. You know, like, isn't that something that we should know as a pediatrician? And then, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a statement ago, really kind of on the cutting edge of that, how, you know, how many infants are born to depressed mothers? I think the headline was 400,000 babies are born to depressed mothers every year. So it really changed the narrative. Yeah. So I am not a shrinking flower. I did push and push and push (laughs) and push. And it took, you know, it took some years. It took some years. But I think everyone, you know, has to, you know, for those who are listening who are in the position to screen and maybe the mom isn't your patient, just, you know, it's part of the care for the baby. And it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm billing for mom. It's not that I'm like prescribing for mom. It's not none of that. It's just like if we talk to a parent about, well, you know, are you interested in quitting smoking because it's making your asthma, you know, your child's asthma worse? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, I talk to them about like, hey, you you think this may be a good time to quit? I just had that discussion with a mom today. Mm -hmm. And you know, or just, you know, the certain safety issues, you know, or, you know, so it's really, if you look at it, it's really this, this similar thing, like we talk about safety in the house and, right. and, you know, smoking, and it all affects the baby, toddler, you know, child, you know, child's health. Right. So can you give a bit of an explanation and, and maybe partly what you say to moms, how to differentiate between just normal mom stuff, new mom stuff, and when it's something maybe a little bit more like depression or anxiety. Yeah. So I think the big thing you have to look at in terms of any type of, you know, mood issues. And, you know, we see this with, you know, with our teenagers as well and our preteens is, you know, really how is it affecting your function? And I think when we're looking at anxiety, depression and new moms to be really cognizant of the fact that, you know, it's not like major depressive disorder. Like we can't ask about weight and sleep, which is what we ask, you know, adults about. Mm-hmm. you know, I mean, non postpartum adults. And so obviously, kind of talking about, you know, those those feelings of being sad and overwhelmed. And I think that excessive worry, and I think when it affects your function, like, yes, all new moms worry about their babies, I worried about bringing home my baby, and I was supposed to know what the heck I was doing as a pediatrician. <laughs> right. And that doesn't mean anything. Because you know, they're sending you home with a human, you know, this baby, and you're supposed to take care like, hey, here you go. See ya. You right, know, it's like, right. you know, we all worry. But when it gets to the point where, you know, if you can't rest when the baby is sleeping, I'm not saying sleep, I know a lot of us are not just able to fall asleep, you know, every, you know, when the baby sleeps every three hours, but you mm-hmm. know, the fact that you can't rest, you know, maybe it's affecting your eating, your sleeping, you really, you know, how's it affecting the house, you know, maybe you have a toddler, maybe, you know, a spouse at home and things like that. So it's really kind of that excessive worry. And I, and I, and I appreciate all the advocacy that's being done and how much awareness there is for postpartum depression and, you know, PPD. And I know everyone, that's the most more common term, but I think what we overlook is the PPA, the postpartum anxiety, postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of what we see is that excessive worry. Like you cannot, you know, you just, your mind is always on. You're always worried. Like, you know, is something going to happen to the baby? Oh, is the baby breathing? Oh my gosh, you know, I need to take the baby to the doctor or something. And I feel like we see a lot more of that versus, yes, you will see maybe the depressed mom, you know, who's sad, who's overwhelmed. And I think, again, those baby blues, you know, especially if you're breastfeeding, but those hormonal changes after giving birth and, and everything like that, plus you have to figure in pain, you know, whether you have right. 
a vaginal or C-section pain and lack of control of the pain affects mood. But again, just, ha- you know, is it affecting your day-to-day function? Are you, you know, of course, the waxing and waning of like feeling like this is the most amazing you know, thing in my life, this amazing baby. And then, you know, you may start crying, like, you know, a little bit after that, that's, you know, that's all within normal, especially those first few weeks, Mm -hmm. but really kind of those feelings of like, really feeling overwhelmed, kind of that dread, you know, you're not enjoying, you know, I'm sure you, you hear it in your practice, like you just, you kind of don't feel anything for that baby, or you're not, you know, having that instantaneous, you know, what everyone describes it as. And, you know, it's not the same for everybody. You're not, you're not going to just, you know, it's not going to be magical, but again, it's that kind of that lingering, those lingering feelings where it's really affecting your function and where we see a lot of it is sleep and, and just kind of that interaction maybe with, you know, others in the house or the toddler, even with that baby. And I think um, Mm -hmm. just recognizing that, and I think we're seeing that even more now, like I get a lot of messages from moms and even in my office, they're like, you know, I know I have something's not right, but it's, it's really not that big of a deal because COVID is so much more worse and people mm-hmm. have it worse than me. So again, yeah, not minimizing that. <laughs> right. What are you seeing in terms of the COVID and stay at home and pandemic? What kinds of worries are you hearing from moms? I think the number one worry is what's going to happen when I deliver. And mm-hmm. depending on, you know, where you are, like obviously New York, Louisiana, Michigan, some other, you know, big cities are the hotspots, you know, they're, you're going to walk in and you're going to be screened for COVID. And so is your spouse or partner, just because the exposure is so high, like where we are in Virginia, everyone is getting screened, but they're not going to get, not everyone's going to get tested. Mm-hmm. And the worry is that, you know, it's changing your plan. It's changing your plan. Like you can't have a doula. Mm-hmm. You can have one person. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're positive, what does that mean? Are they going to let your person you know, into the OR, if it turns into a C-section, every state, every region, every hospital is different. Mm. So really what I'm trying to tell moms is that, you know, if you, as you get closer, maybe like in that month, you know, just be in touch with your OB and find out, you know, what the, because policies and procedures are changing. It's not as right. quickly. It has definitely slowed down over the last two months, but I will tell you like those first few weeks, like I'm a pediatrician, my husband's an ICU doctor. I mean, we were just, I mean, it was just phone call, you know, a nightly phone call, you know, three emails a day about every, because, you know, every change that was possible. So everything. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was just, it was pretty overwhelming for us as physicians. And so just, you know, telling moms, like I was telling pregnant moms and my, you know, because I was seeing the older kid, but also like, you know, some of our nurses are pregnant. So kind of talking to them because Mm -hmm. they don't know. And I think, you know, not having that doula with you, if that was the plan or, Right. And then in the postpartum period, you are leaving the hospital earlier. So mm-hmm. that's affecting breastfeeding. That's mm-hmm. affecting kind of that early latch. You may have frequent visits because, you know, we have to check the ribbon and wait. A lot of times, you know, the mom, you know, obviously it's hospital policy, but a lot of the moms don't want to be in the hospital because that's, right. you know, that's what you see on the news, right? That's where COVID is. So right. I want to get out. So, you know, we're seeing babies much earlier. And then what happens when you get home? Like, you yeah. know, your aunt or, you know, auntie or grandma was just to come and help. Now they can't fly. Now right. they can't come in the house mm-hmm. or how, you know, or I would tell, I would tell my moms, okay, you know, tell grandma, she should be quarantined for at least two weeks before she comes because it's not so much, you know, thankfully we're not seeing, you know, serious morbidity in children because they think it's due to their immature immune system. But, you know, God forbid, like, you know, grandma comes or someone older comes mm-hmm. and they get coronavirus because right. obviously the risk is higher. And then of course, you know, you know, 
baby showers and maternity photo shoots and sure. post post baby getting together with everyone and family has you know it's all changed. So I think it's that that you know and mourning that loss because it's okay to feel sad that your baby shower got canceled. It's okay yeah. to feel sad that you you know I my daughter didn't have a birthday party. My daughter has lost prom and graduation. Doesn't it doesn't mean that your sense of loss is any less important than anyone else's. Right. And I think everyone has to just, you know, we have to accept that and, and be sad. It's okay to be sad. Like, you know, <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to be sad. So it's really kind of that continuum of pregnancy in the hospital and postpartum where we're seeing a lot of the changes with coronavirus. Sure. And, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm even hearing from a lot of my clients who have new babies. It's a like kind of an interesting split. Some people have so like they want to go in and see the pediatrician because their anxiety is high and they have a lot of questions about their baby and symptoms. But I think earlier on, just uh, it was so much harder to get in to see a pediatrician to actually go into a place. And so, you know, having to have phone visits or video visits was both good and bad because they could see their pediatrician, ask some questions, but couldn't get those things checked like weight that, you know, a lot of people kind of do focus on, you know, because they're worried about their baby and the health and survival. But I imagine the the call volume just to your office is much higher because of all of the anxiety. Yeah, definitely the call volume. But I think, again, I think it's based on region. Like in our hospital system, like we're not doing any telehealth for well baby for babies and newborns. So that we're actually not doing. We're exactly the opposite. Mm. So we are asking babies to come in. We've sectored off a part of the office. It's a specific time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where the newborns are coming, the little babies are coming for the vaccine. So we're actually, because, you know, we can't, you know, because that's pretty, it's not the safest thing to do because I can't get a weight. You know, I can see somewhat the baby breastfeeding, but I can't, you know, I can't really assess how yellow the baby is and what Mm -hmm. if the baby needs, I need to check their belly ribbon. It's really difficult. I mean, you know, there are video options, but it's still, you know, it's still a screen and things like that. So, but, you know, we are utilizing the screen for older kids or, you know, if they're sick visits, but we are not utilizing that for newborns and, and well visits and things like that. So those, those first few visits, even though they're frequent, we are just like most pediatricians are taking precautions right? in terms of certain times of day and cordoning off, you know, certain parts of the office and you know, some practices that may have, you know, more than one site, you know, maybe they're making one site well and one site sick, you know, things like that. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, people, providers are having to get really creative about how to still provide care. You're also still going through this pandemic. (laughs) It's, you know, the balance of being a provider while also, you know, taking care of your own family. This is such a unique situation. Yeah. uh, It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's interesting because I think, you know, when people ask, you know, because my husband's literally on the front lines, like as an ICU doc. So I think it's kind of like, you know, it's, we just, we do what we, you know, it's kind of, I don't know if there's a psychiatric term for that. You can tell me that it's kind of like you just compartmentalize. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, I'm, I just go in and compartmentalize. And I think it's, it's very interesting because it's so comfortable for me to see the kids and everything like that. And it's, and for me, it's frustrating because I have to wear a mask. And like, even yeah. just today I had, you know, just today, like, you know, I have kids like looking at me, like scrunching up their eyebrows, like, who are you? And then I, you know, I pull the mask down and I smile and I get this huge, big smile. Mm. You know, I had a five-year-old today. She's like, you have to read this book to me. So I finished with another patient and I came back in, you know, she sat on my lap and I said, you know, is it okay if I take off my mask? And, you know, it's interesting because the moms are worried about me. You know, they're yeah. like, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, you look, you know, are you okay? You look good. You right, know, right, right. Are you resting? And 
and it's 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 just so kind and you know and I just yeah. I don't think of it as that you know you're caring for others I don't think of it as like you know I'm you know oh they're you know they're asking about me they're worrying about me and things like that or people you know and then uh, you know they ask about my husband or they sure. work my husband and things like that. But it's, it's really, I guess you just compartmentalize and do what we need to do and try to do the best we can. I feel like in, in pediatrics, I think the mask is very, you know, inhibits a lot of facial expressions, especially with kids, but oh, even, yeah. like, you know, you know, especially even like talking to a mom who is, you know, anxious or depressed, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, I ask her, I'm like, you know, can I take off the mask and let's talk? Like, it just seems odd to me. Right. You know, we're talking about something so serious or you know, just, you know, I think it just having, you know, we're a very expressive culture. So to have that, you know, I miss holding kind of, you know, holding my, the mom's hand or if right. she wants to give me a hug. And so, you know, there is that kind of downside of that. So, yeah, it's hard because it, I mean, this whole thing sort of brought out everybody's humanity, but and then also we're a little bit more restricted from like the connection part, you know, yeah. just the facial expressions and touch and all that stuff, you know, as I'm sure, you know, in, in your work, you're literally examining babies and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. in close proximity. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell?, laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're aiming more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, So you were talking a little bit about the care for newborns and, and infants and children especially during this time, there's, it sounds like a lot of precautions are in place in your office. You're taking it pretty seriously. And yeah, we're, you know, everyone's getting screened. So all the, you know, all the physicians, nurses, staff, we all get screened, you know, questions and temperature. And then, you know, on the flip side, all the, all the children, you know, everyone's, you know, the families are asked questions and, you know, I think the parents' temperature is getting taken because, you know, the babies, and I think, you know, the, the baby's temperature actually maybe 
being taken out front as well. But of course we do everything when they come into the office Mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, people in the community have like, you know, made homemade masks for kids, Yeah, you know, so we have our toddlers walking in with our curious George masks and (laughs) and things like that. And they're all doing, Mm -hmm. you know, they're all really doing great, but you know, we, you you have to limit to one parent, like, you know, the whole, Mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately mom and dad and grandma, not everyone can come in. So you have, you know, dad will bring in the baby and we'll have mom on the phone and, Mm-hmm. And, you know, she'll kind of, you know, f- you know, fill me in and things like that. But it's definitely been interesting in terms of the breastfeeding. I've, we've been able to do a little more telehealth with that. Like if, you know, instead of bringing them in frequently for that, you know, if they're comfortable being able to do breastfeeding via tel- telehealth has been interesting as well. And, you know, it's yeah. worked out pretty well so far. So, you know, again, getting creative. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. In a, so many ways. I mean, it, it sounds like it touches just every part of your practice, let, let alone your life. So in, in terms of the lactation consulting that you're doing in your practice, I'm, I'm sure you get a lot of questions about uh, lactation and, and treatment for perinatal mental health or just treatment for anything in general. How do you navigate that? Yeah. So I think I feel fortunate because I am a lactation consultant, plus my interest in advocacy with, you know, perinatal mental health has really become a really good fit and kind of my niche in terms of a lot of the other aspects when I work with perinatal psychiatrists or therapists, you know, the breastfeeding, you know, is under the umbrella of pediatrics and things like that. So I think Unfortunately, what I am still seeing, it has gotten better in some ways, but unfortunately, what I'm still seeing is that moms feel like they have to make a choice between breastfeeding and getting medical treatment for their anxiety or depression. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it still angers me. Like I saw a patient a few weeks, uh, a few months ago before COVID. And again, something just wasn't right. And, you know, she's, we live in a, on the East Coast in one of the biggest Navy cities, Navy towns. So Mm -hmm. we have, you know, all the Navy SEALs are here. Mm -hmm. We have a very fluid military population. So, you know, the the husband was military. He wasn't around that much because of his job. And she, you know, she didn't really know that many people and she has a newborn and there's no family around. And it's, you know, it's pretty common what we see in you know, just the way she was answering questions and the way she was kind of looking down. And I just asked her and basically she just started crying and said, uh-huh. you know, I want to breastfeed. And I said, well, you're doing great. I said, you're doing a great job. You know, and I said, and I'm of the philosophy, some is better than none. Like, you know, if you have to pump, you know, cause someone can give a bottle so you can sleep, or even if you have to give a bottle of formula, so someone, you know, dad or grandma can feed so you can get, you know, four or five hours of sleep, especially with, you know, especially with the anxiety or depression, like that's yeah. fine. And, you know, we'll, but again, it has to be individualized. Like there's some moms who don't want any formula. And I think that's also my role that I can say, well, you know, a little bit is okay. It's not, you know, going to be detrimental, but you know, if that's not what you are interested in, then let's talk about pumping. So, mm-hmm. you know, someone else can help out or, you know, if it's a single mom, you know, how she's going to navigate that if she's by herself at night. But, you know, this mom, she said that she was basically told by her psychiatrist that, you know, he, he said, I will only give you your medication if you stop breastfeeding. You know, on top of that, you have a mom, you know, who it's a young marriage, you know, like they're, they're pretty young and, you know, no social support, no family support. She's doing the best she can. And, you know, maybe things didn't go the way it was supposed to go. So a lot of these moms, you know, I had a mom tell me, you know, my birth plan didn't go the way it was supposed to go. It wasn't the delivery I wanted or the postpartum that I wanted. And so I need to breastfeed. I need to breastfeed for a year. I need to breastfeed for 15 months and that's their breastfeeding goals. And I think what we see is that, you know, 
I can't take that away from a mom because if, is that going to exacerbate her guilt mm-hmm. or maybe the mom who needs permission to stop breastfeeding or right. to, you know, do both. But I think what angers me as a pediatrician and as a physician, you know, not just the, the baby for the, not just being the doctor for the baby, but you know, there's so much literature out there. I mean, it's literally at our fingertips on a smartphone or an iPad or the computer. We all have EMR and there's no reason to tell a mom that you have to pick one or the other. And I wrote about this, like I was telling you before, I wrote about this in an article that got published in the New York Times in October. And my reason for that was because, you know, I can only tell so many moms in a day about this, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but, you know, by getting it on social media or getting it published, you know, in in a paper is, is a, you know, really gets the message out there. And we really have to empower our moms. And, you know, what I told this mom was like, that's not correct. And then, Mm. you know, the whole story came out. She had been hospitalized for depression. Mm. She had depression since she was a teenager. And it wasn't, Mm. you know, it wasn't just, she just didn't have postpartum depression just because she had a baby. She had a long history of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very irresponsible for any physician to say, you have to pick because if she had asthma, we wouldn't do that. If she had high blood pressure, we yeah. wouldn't make her choose. If she had to take insulin for diabetes, mm-hmm. would we make her choose? Of course not. Right. So why are we making her choose for her mental health? The last time I checked, the brain's attached to the body. <laughs> right. It's all going <laughs> to so, so I think it's, you know, to tell moms, and I'm sure, you know, you can speak to this much more than I can since this, you know, you see this every day that, you know, why is there this you know, you have to pick one or the other. Like, not only is that irresponsible, that's dangerous. Because again, right. you're making mom feel bad mm-hmm. that she's not able to breastfeed because something's wrong with her. Right. Again, w- w- you're reinforcing that misconception that she did something wrong. Yep. And I cannot tell you how many moms have, you know, until I started doing this and pushing the envelope, I can't tell you how many moms are like, well, no, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm not. Some moms told me, they're like, I don't even want to go see the therapist or the psychiatrist because I know they're going to tell me to stop. And I'm like, no, 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 you have. And so, you know, it, got, it gets to the point, like sometimes I'll send them to a different perinatal psychologist or, or, or a perinatal psychiatrist, like a psychiatrist who specializes in this. Yeah. And, I, and, or sometimes I'll print out the kind of, the parents can see it, but it's really kind of the chemical structure and that whole explanation of, mm-hmm. you know, the blood brain barrier. And sometimes I'll just print it out and I'll put an envelope and I'll give it to a mom. I said, take this to your psychiatrist and show it to them in my numbers on the bottom. Yeah. You know, again, I, you know, again, I don't know if they do it, Good um, move. but you know, sometimes it's just, you know, we educating our colleagues, but you know, again, we wouldn't do this. And it's the same thing, you know, that you see in your practice with the pregnant moms, like, would you tell a pregnant mom to stop her asthma medication or her blood or her medication for blood pressure just because she's pregnant? So please don't tell her to stop her medication during pregnancy for her anxiety. Yeah. Um, This education just needs to be so wide. And honestly, like I I think all physicians are doing the best that they can, but they don't get this training and you have to seek it out. And I just, I can't wait for the day that this is just in, in your training, that they don't have to wait until they get out of training to hear these truths. So I I thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And I definitely think the training is changing because I know like our medical students and our residents, they're learning about breastfeeding, they're learning about postpartum depression, and they're learning about it because, you know, because I'm there and my other partner is a lactation consultant. So again, it's, you know, I didn't learn about breastfeeding until I had my own kid, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's just, again, but I think, you know, if you don't know the answer, then just ask, ask the expert in it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I, I don't claim to know something about X, Y, and Z. I'm going to go, you know, ask my friend who is the perinatal psychiatrist, or I'm going to go right. ask my 
friend who's the obstetrician. Like that's not my, you know, my area of expertise or like just, or if I have an idea, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, just kind of look into it. But I think it's very, it's very sad and frustrating for, to see a mom have to pick between breastfeeding and getting treatment and and things like that, you know, for the moms who need medication, of course, and obviously therapy and uh, support groups, you know, you can still do that anytime, but. So I'm sure you've seen a lot of good things happen then being able to give this information and be that bridge for parents. What have you seen in terms of, you know, hopeful, hopeful messages you can share with, with our listeners? I think it's been wonderful to see moms, you know, I think moms always trusted their pediatrician. I think, I mean, I know I trust my pediatrician, but I think that level of comfort of even talking about mental health and breastfeeding, but even like the physical health has been fascinating to see over the last few years. Like I have learned so much about, you know, I'm actually learning about pelvic floor therapy because I see so many moms who are suffering, you know, with breastfeeding. And then of course that the pain is making their mood issues worse. And then talking about pelvic floor therapy and how they need to advocate and talk to their OB about that and getting, you know, so that's been really exciting to see just how I'm able to encompass, you know, mom's fourth trimester into my pediatric practice. And that's what Mm -hmm. I, you know, I tell my moms is that, you know, you, you know, you carried this child for, you know, 36, 40 weeks, you know, eight, nine months, you know, just because the baby has outside your body doesn't mean that you're not connected. and. Right. And at that fourth trimester, I think that's what we talk about is that just because the baby's out outside of mom's body doesn't mean we just negate and forget about mom. And I think definitely that's that right. tie is changing, you know, whether it's breastfeeding or the mental health aspect and, but, you know, also the physical health aspect and, you know, so much of that, you know, women deal with, you know, postpartum and even beyond. So I think Absolutely. it's been great. And I think, you know, one silver lining of COVID is that the aspect that, you know, therapists and support groups are now virtual. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's actually more access now for moms because yeah. they don't have to worry about leaving the house or they don't have to worry about transportation mm-hmm. and they can, you know, hop on their phone. I don't know if you're doing it in your practice, but oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the virtual, you know, support groups are virtual. And I think that's been really wonderful because, you know, maybe, maybe she's not 100% comfortable sitting in a room with women that she doesn't know, as opposed to being on a Zoom call or or talking to you as a therapist. I'm seeing a lot of my teen adolescents who have anxiety and depression. And, you know, I'll be honest, like being able to do it virtually, like they don't have to worry about leaving the house and going through the whole screening process or figuring out transportation has been really great. And I think, especially as a mom with a new baby, that's one less thing you have to worry about is like wrapping the baby up and and, you know, bringing the baby into the, into a medical setting when you don't really have to. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for highlighting. Th- those are absolutely some bonuses that I see. Relief, actually, for a lot of people who are having high anxiety. Well, I'm, I'm really grateful to you for taking the time to come on and share how you're bridging this gap uh, with pediatrics and fourth trimester and, and how you incorporate moms into, into the care of their children. I just, I hope that all pediatricians everywhere hear you <laughs> and hear how important this is and how that it can be done. That's It's just so, so important. Thank you for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you again, Dr. Natasha Sriraman for coming on and sharing all of this information with us. If you would like to get connected with her, you can find her Natasha Mom MD on Instagram and Facebook. And that is also her website. If this is your first time joining us on the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe so that you can get every episode downloaded directly to you when it becomes live. 
And I really, really encourage you to share these episodes, anything that resonates for you. Think of one person who could benefit from hearing it also and send it on to them. I know firsthand how getting this information can feel like a life raft for some people. You never know who's going to need it. The more information and education that we can get out to everyone, the less they will all have to suffer. Thank you for listening and sharing and being interested in the mental health and well-being of perinatal families. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking